You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of RedLegNation.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Red Leg Nation Radio podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Chad Dotson, coming to you once again on demand from Red Leg Nation World Headquarters, you've chosen to download us again today. Again, I, I'm not sure why, but do appreciate that you have. Got a lot of things to discuss today. We're going to jump right into the, the, the Reds discussion on the line with us. Once again, is my fellow RedLegNation.com editor, Bill Lack. How you doing, Bill? Doing great, man. Doing great. We're at the All-Star break, and, and I think we've got more positives than negatives to talk about. And I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Well, there have been a lot of negatives uh, throughout the Reds blogosphere lately, and, and there are things to be down about, but I agree. There's a lot of a lot of reasons for optimism, and we'll get into some of those uh, here in just a moment. First of all, though, I wanted to talk about uh, your recent trip down to Sarasota. Uh, you know, in our last podcast, we had a we featured your interviews with uh, the manager of the Sarasota Reds, Joe Aralt, and with uh, our spotlight player Matt Klinker. Tell us a little bit about that uh, the time you had in Sarasota. Sounds like a pretty good time. Yeah, we had a, a real good week. I, I was able to see, as I, as I think I posted, I saw five uh, Sarasota Reds games, and I, I was managed to catch a Gulf Coast League game on Friday and uh, got to meet Joe Aralt, who was very, very kind to us, uh, very nice, seemed like a very nice guy. Um, spent a little time with Matt while we were down there. It was, it was always fun to be around. Um Spent a little time talking to Dan Wolford, the GM of the, of the Sarasota Reds, another guy that's been based to Red Leg Nation, a very good guy, a uh, guy that's future's kind of up in the air right now as they, they try to determine what's going to happen down there. Yeah, and that's, So we wish, the, we wish the best for Dan and, and his future. Absolutely, and you mentioned something I want to discuss, and you talk about this in your uh, big sort of recap post of your week, but obviously the Reds are, are moving out, moving to Arizona. Do you have any, if you had to guess what's going to happen, I know you listed some of the options uh, with what's going to happen uh, down there, do you have any any guess what the Reds are going to do? I don't have a feel for it at all. And, and the people that I talked to down there, I don't really think they've got a feel for it yet, which is kind of weird because you would think it, by this – I mean, we're halfway through the season. You would think there'd be some indication of which way this was going to go, and I don't get the impression that there is at all. Now, and I don't remember whether I posted this or not. What's kind of strange is the money from this – from what I've been told – uh, the money from this outside group that wants to buy the whole complex down there and run baseball academies and supposedly even bring in like Japanese teams for spring training is offering the Reds more money than what is being offered by the Pirates to move the, you know to buy the franchise and move it up to Bradenton. So I, I, if that was the case, I don't understand what the Reds are waiting on to pull the trigger on that deal. Because uh, I would, I think the Reds would like to keep some kind of presence in the in the Florida area. Just in case the thing in Arizona doesn't work out, you know, and maybe that's just me talking as a as a Florida baseball guy. I don't know, uh, but but that's kind of I, I'm, I'm I have no idea, no feel for which way this thing's going to go at all. Yeah, and I'm like you. I don't know. I'm surprised there's not some indication which way they're they're leaning right now. Now you are a Sarasota guy. You've been going down there for years, watching the Reds down there, haven't you? Yeah, we've gone down there for family vacations. For, we used to go every year. Now we go every other year. So in Linda, my wife has gone. She's been going down there for probably 25 years. And Linda, and I, we're getting ready to celebrate our 19th anniversary. And we've been going down there since we've been married. So it's been almost 20 years. That's yeah, a, a great area. One of the options you mentioned, and you did mention the uh, the, the private group that's considering buying that uh, whole complex and keeping the Reds there. But one of the other options you mentioned was uh, – the Pirates buying that franchise, obviously, and they're moving it to Bradenton, and then the Reds taking their high A team to Lynchburg, Virginia. Now, I'm gonna, I got to go on the record here as being in favor of that, uh, not because it's best for the Reds. I don't know what's best for the Reds, but I know it's best for me because, in terms of, uh, I'm, I'm not particularly close to Lynchburg where I live now, but I do take some uh, going to conferences and things like that. I go by Lynchburg all the time. I've been to that stadium there. It's a nice little stadium. And, uh, and a good franchise. They've got a lot of good fans in Lynchburg, so it'd be a good spot for me to catch some uh, some games. But I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, the only thing I can say to that is, is from what I've read, and, and Doug Gray could probably tell us a lot more about this than, than we, you or I know, but from what I understand, the Florida State League is a better league in terms of talent than, than the Carolina League. Yeah, I can buy that. Um, 
Well, we'll see. We'll see what they do. I don't. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to watch. Now, what about the players down there? You uh, had some interesting uh, comments about Devin Messeraco, our first round draft pick a couple years ago. What'd you see out of him? I'll tell you what. I, I mean, he's still struggling at the plate, but at times, and at certain at bats, you can see where he's starting to get it. I thought, and like I said, and I said in the post, I'm not a scout. I'm not a. Ba- I'm just a guy that's been watching baseball since the late '60s. Uh, but he turned on a ball and hit it out the left center field that may still be traveling when I was down there. But the biggest difference I saw between watching him, you know, 19 or 20 times last year in Dayton and what I saw this year is defensively and, and physically. He has become a much bigger man. You know, he, he just turned 21. In fact, he celebrated his 21st birthday a couple of weeks before we were down there. And, uh, he has just developed physically. He's gotten very broad across his back and his chest. His shoulders are very broad. He's becoming a big, physically big man, and that doesn't do anything but help you as a catcher. Uh, we were we were joking about it, and I, I think this was during the interview, but I can't or or after we hunt, I can't remember whether it was recorded was still running when I was talking to Joe, and we and you know, he's an ex catcher, and, and he was talking about about Devin, and talked about there have been like two or three guys that have tried to run him over in that league, and every one of them was sent a flying. <laughs> And, and the big thing when we were down there, the, the, the night we watched him, it was the night that we got to see Matt pitch, and, and Matt had a rough night, and, and all the, the Sarasota pitchers had a rough night that night. But it seemed like there was a lot of balls being thrown in the dirt. And to me, that's the true test of a good catcher, and nothing got by this kid. And he wasn't just blocking the ball, he was catching the ball. And it, it, it was just a very, very impressive week. And I saw him catch four out of the five games while I was down there. He, he DH the other day. But uh, every game he was impressive defensively. Now that's good to hear, you know, especially catching in that Florida heat. I can't imagine that's easy. Uh, no, I, I mean, even in, you know, even in this league, when they're, you know, they're starting the games, they always announce the temperature at game time. And I think the low while we were down there, the, the games I saw was 84, <laughs> and the high was like 88 or 89 at game time. And that's at 6 or 7 o'clock at night. Right, yeah. Goodness. Well, I, I, I'm very hopeful for Mesoraco. People need to remember, he's still young. You know, he, he's, a, lot, a lot of people want to well, treat him the same way that Homer Bailey's been sort of treated. We'll talk about Homer a little bit in just a moment, but... Um, this guy's still so young. He's just—he was a high school guy. He's still developing, and and there's a chance he's still going to develop into what they hoped he could be as a catcher, picked in the first round. So, and again, you know, and again, I, I always say I'm not a, I'm not a scout or anything like that, and I'm I'm still learning to watch these minor league guys and how they develop. But it is my belief and my understanding that catchers develop slower than everybody else anyway. So he's a high school kid. He's a catcher. So it's going to take him a little longer to get where they want him to be. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, obviously you've seen him now uh, in Dayton last year and, and now in Sarasota. I'm, I'm really happy to hear it. looks like he's growing up. looks like he's maturing. And, and you know, defensively, uh, early on in his uh, first season, you know, there were some questions. Uh, he was, he was, had the good reputation, but the performance wasn't there. So I'm glad to hear that he's uh, looking outstanding defensively. Yeah, from what I, I mean, from, uh, and this is, again, guesswork. Now, you know, we've heard about how much work Donnie Scott did with him last year at Dayton. But he's got another manager this year that's an ex-catcher, and I think both of the, you know I, I would think that really helps in his development. Another guy that uh, I'm I've been interested in particularly talking about another high school guy was a guy that was just drafted this year at a high school in Mississippi uh, with the number in the second round, uh, Billy Hamilton. You got to see him play. Uh, what you what were your uh, what were your thoughts about Billy Hamilton? Well, it was I mean it was just I mean you talk about a snapshot. Uh, I mean I went to one game on Friday. I, I didn't get a chance to get to as many of the Gulf Coast League games that I would like to that week. Um, he played the whole game at shortstop. He made every play that was that, that he had a, an opportunity to make play. He didn't boot a ball, and you know he, he he looks like his arms you know reasonably strong from what you can tell. And you know during a game, um, he's a slap type hitter. He he he's he's got a long way to go physically. To develop, he's very, very thin. They list him at six foot or six one, I think. But I think they list him at one sixty five. And I mean, somebody needs to buy the kid a sandwich. <laughs> I mean, he looked like he had his dad's belt wrapped around him twice. I mean, and and the thing that that, that, that got to me was we I was watching how they were planning defensively in the outfield and. I don't know if he's a switch hitter. The, the the roster that I had had him listed as a right-handed hitter, but he hit left-handed the day I hit him. So either it was wrong, he's a left-handed hitter, or he's a switch hitter. Um, but when he was hitting left-handed, the left fielder was playing 
pulled around fairly close to the line, not real, real close, but very, very shallow, almost it looked like softball depth. I mean, he, he didn't look like they thought he could hit the wall if they stood on second base. Right, yeah. But, he's you know, he's 18 years old. He's really young and thin, and, and I would think, you know, he, he's still got a long way to go in terms of physical development and weight training and those kinds of things. But he did everything you could have asked him to do, you know, during the one game that I saw, which isn't necessarily a fair indication. True, true. But, you know, when you look at a high school guy like that and uh, a shortstop especially, if he sticks at shortstop, a guy that's a good enough athlete to get a scholarship to play football in the Southeastern Conference. I mean, that's not, uh, they don't just hand those out to everyone coming down the road. Um, sure. Now, some of those SEC schools, if you drive through their towns, they'll throw a diploma in your car if you get your window down, but uh, they don't give you football scholarships as easily as that. But, but you know, let's not start the ACC, SEC <laughs> thing, you know. I can't say anything about college football, actually, as a, as a UVA guy. Uh, I wish UVA just disbanded their football program, but anyone else? Stick out to you down there that you want to mention real quick before we move on? Um, Nephi Soto. He's, he's again, very, very young. I don't think, from what I watched down there, I don't think defensively he's going to make it at third base. Really? I, I think they're going to end up, and I don't know, maybe he can make, the, make it to the outfield. I, mean, I don't know if he's got the range to play the outfield, whether he's going to end up a first baseman. The Reds... To me, and we're seeing the same thing with Juan Francisco, they seem like they're convinced that these guys need to stay at third base when it's, especially in Francisco's case, in my opinion, it's it's all, it's readily apparent that they're not going to be able to handle the defense at the position. And, and Soto's nowhere near as bad as Francisco is. But right. he's very inconsistent. But, again, he's very young. And I may be completely wrong, uh, you know, I, I but – Mike, if I had to make a prediction at this, if he makes the show, and he's got a chance, it'll be at a different position. Yeah. I was going to mention Francisco when you started talking about him because it sounded like you were describing Juan Francisco uh, there. At, you know, I saw got to see Francisco play at, uh, for Carolina there a couple games. Well, he got hurt, actually, in the first game. But uh, I've never seen a guy so brutal at third base. You know, I only got to see him play seven innings or something. I don't remember when he got hurt, but um, – it just just brutal. I mean, couldn't make any plays, you know. Yeah, and he he, ma- he makes Edwin Encarnacion look like Brooks Robinson. Th- exactly, and and you know it makes me wonder. This organization's got an awful lot of guys uh, now that uh, Soto, if, if he's like that, uh, Francisco is like that, and of course a lot of people think that uh, Encarnacion uh, shouldn't be playing third either. A lot of guys in this organization playing third that really may need to be at a different position. What's, what's I, I don't understand what the Reds were thinking with a guy like Francisco. Um, I, he's never going to be a third baseman. You, you make a, it makes you wonder. Well, when they're going to pull the trigger and try him somewhere else? But you know, they also have a lot of money tied up in first baseman. I mean, you got Joey Votto at the major yeah. league level. You got, a, you got a you know a number one draft pick at the at the double A level now on the DL. You got Logan Part Logan down there, and, and and Logan struggled a little bit in the first half, but we know Logan can hit. Mm-hmm. And Logan's a pretty good defensive first baseman, uh, so you know, they're backlogged at first base too. So whether you, you know whether you try more of the the Frazier type experiments and, and, and try these guys in the outfield to see what happens, I don't know. You know, the smarter baseball minds than I have to come up with that answer. Absolutely, um, but you know, you mentioned a guy Todd Frazier. That, that sort of frustrates me because my feeling, and again, uh, these guys, uh, the guys that are making these decisions, know a lot more about what's going on than I do, obviously sitting up in the grandstand, but Todd Frazier's a guy to me I thought should be a third baseman, frankly. Um, it seems like he, he was able to handle the position. He's going to be able to hit well enough, I think, to be a uh, third baseman in the major leagues. He's a guy that I watch, and I, and I just thought this guy looks like a guy from just everything he did from the time he stepped on the field, the way he looked at the plate, is going to be a pro someday. Really impressed by Todd Frazier. Even though he didn't play particularly well in the couple games I saw him, because he, he he was very impressive, and I, I would like to see him get more at bats at third base. Then, you know, he might have a future at that position. I don't know that uh, Francisco does. Yeah, it's funny because before the season, I, I I advocated for 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 Frazier to be moved to the outfield because I thought that would be his fastest way to the big leagues. But then Drew Stubbs and Chris Hines he had big years in the outfield. Now it looks like you know we're, we're, we've got some. Decent ideas, or at least some possibilities in in the outfield positions. Right. And now, you know, now Todd's best shot might be at third base, especially if the Reds are dangling Encarnacion around. And we'll, I'm sure, we'll talk about the Scott Rowland thing a little later. But 
Well, let's go ahead and talk about it. Let's, let's go ahead and jump into the Major League uh, Club. You know, the Reds are at the break now, three games under 500, 42 and 45, fifth place in the National League Central, um, closer to last place than first, but not terribly far out of first uh, place, I guess, when you consider. Uh, what are your Before we get into the rumors about Scott Rowland, et cetera, what are, your, what are your thoughts about the Reds after the first half of the season? I think you posted it today. I think we're about where, where most of us that, that, that spend a lot of time, or probably too much time, thinking yeah. about this stuff. Uh, you know, I think we're about where we all expected. I, I'm not sure we're necessarily there for the reasons that we thought we would be. I don't think any of us expected the Reds to be, you know, to be fighting as the in, number of injuries and, and strange circumstances like the Joey Votto thing that they went through in the first half. But I think, you know, if you'd have said at the beginning of the season, you know, we're going to hit the all-star break and you're going to be within three five, three or four games of 500, I forget what it is exactly right now, uh, I think we'd have said, yeah, okay, I can live with that. Yeah. And, you know, is it frustrating to watch some of the things that we have to, de- you know, have to watch? Yeah, absolutely. But if we'd have, you know, if we'd have made it, if somebody had told you before the season this is where we'd be and that we'd be, what, four and a half out or something like that, I don't think anybody would have complained too much. I think people would have kind of just nodded their head. Yeah, frankly, I would have been happy with that uh, going into the season. I think some in the in the interim, the Reds started out a little bit hot, and, and they have been able to stick around because the Central's been a sort of a weak division. So maybe people are a little more disappointed right now than they would have been if you'd have told them before the season, this is where we're going to be. And also the fact that this team, when they lose, they just play ugly. Uh, you know, I've not seen anything like this in a while. It, the lack of fundamentals, the lack of execution. Uh, when they lose, they really lose. Uh, they, they look like a high school team sometimes, and that's what frustrates me too. But but I'll take that I'll take that three games under 500. I, I always expect the 2010 look would look to me to be the year when the Reds would really be ready to be competitive, um, and they've still got to make some cor- correct moves in the meantime. But uh, you know we're we're okay right now. We're in okay position. Yeah, I, I think I mean we're closer than we have any right to be to the top of the division with this team, and I think a lot of that has to do with the implosion of the Chicago Cubs, who everybody expected to be the team to beat. And, and for whatever reason that is. Now, they've had their share of injuries, but I don't think they've had any more or any any more important injuries than the Reds have had. Yeah, uh, you know, they lost Ramirez for quite a while, you know, but we lost, we've lost we lost Volquez, Votto, Encarnacion, and now Bruce. I mean, that's, that's a healthy portion of, of the guys that you were counting on to help this team be successful this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those are the guys. Those are, you know, Brandon Phillips is out for a couple of weeks. He's not been hurt too much, but... Uh, along with him, those are really are the guys you were counting on. You know, Volquez was your all-star last year, and uh, Votto, uh, by all rights, would have been an all-star this year without that uh, situation cropping up. And so, yeah, uh, three games under with the with the injuries we've had and, and sort of the things that have gone on. I'll I'll take it. Uh, and yeah. still being and still being in the race. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, do I think we can compete for the second half of the season? No, I don't. I think they'll end up fourth or fifth, and I think they'll end up ten or eleven out. But you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, stranger things have happened. Absolutely, and and I guess the, the question becomes, what are uh, what's the management thinking right now? Bronson Arroyo mentioned it after he finally pitched a good game uh, Friday night against New York, but he said, you know, uh, we're all wondering what's management going to do if we if we lose too many games here, they're going to start thinking they need to send some guys out. And obviously, the big rumor of this week was uh, the Reds being interested in acquiring Scott Rowland from the Blue Jays. And the talk was that Edwin Encarnacion was one of the uh, pieces that was dangled in the trade talks. So um, now the Reds have denied that, but uh, they haven't denied having interest in Roland. What do you think about that? I, I, I have no problem with trading Edwin, Edwin Encarnacion, even though I like him. But I don't see where you sit, where you trade him for Scott Roland. I mean, because you're not going to get him even up. So you're going to trade Edwin Encarnacion and probably one or two minor leaguers would be my guess for Scott Rowland. And that's too much for a guy that's 34 years old. I don't care if he is, you know, got, what does he have? I mean, he's only got six home runs this year. He's hitting well. I mean, you know, he's hitting 325. But it's too much, and it's not going to make a difference. That's what I'm afraid of. The Reds are going to give up some pieces that are of value. And again, I don't have any objection to trading Edwin Encarnacion. He's he's my favorite Red, as I've said uh, over and over. But uh, in the right deal to improve the team for the long term, I don't have any problem at all trading him. Um, there are very few people that I would say are untouchable. 
but and and I like Scott Rowland as well. You know, he's a decent enough hitter. He's a great defensive third baseman, um, which means he'd probably be welcomed in Cincinnati. But number one, his his age is you know he's getting up there, so this is not a long term solution. Number two, he's hurt very often. He's injury prone. And number three, he's owed $11 million or something next year. Um, I don't see where it makes sense for this franchise at this time. Unless management, Walt Jockety, thinks we can win this year, I think that's the only way you, you acquire Scott Rowland. If, you, if you're looking towards next year and the next couple years, I don't think it makes sense for this organization to even chase him. No, and, uh, and I think if, you're gonna, if, you, if, if they make this deal, that, like you said, to me, that, that says that they think they can win this year. And if they're going to do that, they're going to have to make more deals. Right. It, it's not just going to be Scott Rowland. And if they're going to do that, they're going to mortgage the future. They have to. I mean, it's the only way. Yeah, and they're going to have to give up some young, talented players, the Chris Heisey's, the Drew Stubbs, the Maloney's, the who, you know, whoever you want to talk about. I mean, uh, and, and they're going to be sacrificing possibly – you know what we hope is going to be a team that's going to be one that can be good for three, four, five years for a shot at winning it this year. And I just think this team is not coached well enough. They, like you said, they 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 have too many ball games where they just play horrible baseball. And and until we can overcome that, I don't think you can be a consistent winner. All right. And yeah, you don't see the St. Louis Cardinals making those mistakes. Um, so, but all those names you mentioned, I, you know, none of them are untouchable. I'd trade any of them in the right deal. But the Reds have to, at this point, be looking towards the next three years rather than just the next three months. I, I think, and and we're gonna find out. I think over the next uh, couple of weeks, as we come up to this, uh, the non waiver trade deadline at the end of July, how the Reds respond to this Jay Bruce injury. Obviously, Bruce broke his uh, wrist in the Mets series here to end out the to close out the first half. How they respond to that's gonna really It'll tell us a lot about what Walt Jockey thinks. If they if they try to go out and replace, uh, you know, get get some bats to replace to win this year, or if they try to sort of stay the course and, and deals that they make, uh, I'm afraid that they're they're going to be provoked by this loss to think they got to get more offense because we ha- had too little offense anyway, and try to do something to help improve things for the rest of this year, uh, either for a public relations, uh, you know, fighting for 500 uh, type idea if that makes any sense. And I'm really concerned about the, what the response is going to be. I'm afraid they're going to be provoked by this Bruce injury to do something they may that may not be smart for the long term. I think that's a very valid concern. I think that the uh, the concern about dropping out of the race and them all of a sudden not being able to put butts in the seats could provoke them into making a move that could hurt future comp- their future ability to compete. Yeah, so we'll have to wait and see how that goes. I'm I'm concerned about that, but... You know, let's. I guess we'll give them the benefit of the doubt until something happens. Um, on the field, uh, some positives to discuss. Uh, Homer Bailey. Finally, we're seeing the. Are we seeing the Homer Bailey that uh, we'd all been we've been hoping to see for years now? He's had two excellent starts in a row. What do you think about our man Homer? Well, you and I have always been an advocate of uh, of Homer's. You know that that he's young. You know he, he's still going to struggle. He's going to have games where he's horrible. But, you know, so did Greg Maddox and those guys. When You know, Tom Seaver probably, you know, when they were this age, you know. And I'm not saying that he's going to be either one of those guys. But what I'm saying is expect the kid to struggle and let's be happy on the games he pitches well. Young pitchers, uh, the, I was say, young pitchers are inconsistent. They just are. I mean, yeah. that's the name of the game. And, and, but the last two games, he's been lights out. I mean, you couldn't have asked for any more than you got from Homer. You know, now he's probably kicking the guys in the bullpen in the shins. But well, there are lots know, but, of starters on the team that are doing that. Uh, Iron yeah, Hart's doing the same thing. But he's been phenomenal, he, and he and he looks like out there. And I'm not saying that he didn't before, but he, he just looks calmer to me out there. Like he's he's you know he's settled down a little bit. Maybe you know maybe he's been talked to by the management, and they're saying just come up here and do the best you can. You know, and and we're not gonna. You know, throw you know, throw you under the bus no matter what happens. You know, just do the best you can. And where maybe he took some, of, so they did something that took some of the pressure off the kid. I don't know, but there's definitely a difference. And whether it's the you know the split finger or whether it's the maturity or whatever it is, it, it at least in the two the first two starts, he's he sure looked better. Yeah, there's no question. You know, everyone raved, raved about his maturity in spring training. He came up earlier for that one start, and you know. 
he didn't look very good, and I didn't think he looked that confident then. I think he felt like he, maybe he was putting too much pressure on himself because he knew that he was only getting this one start. And, yeah, and one and done, he, yeah. Um, this time he knew he was going to have a stretch of starts, and you know he'd started, he just had started on a string of success in AAA like we hadn't seen in a long time uh, out of him. So I, I'm, I agree with you. He looked extremely confident. Uh, he looked uh, like the guy that they were describing to us in the reports out of Sarasota this spring. And, uh, boy, if, if he really has turned the corner, you talk about a, a solid rotation. We're talking about, again, the next three years. The, the Reds could have Volquez, Cueto, uh, Homer Bailey, the uh, top three in a, a rotation potentially. And that's, uh, you know. And, and i tell you what, you know, we get a whole lot of complaining about Micah Owens, about, you know, but for a four or five, I'm, I'll take this guy, you know. Every year. And, and you still got Maloney down there, and and you know who knows what we've got behind it. There's some, there is some pitching in this organization now. Yeah, finally, and uh, so I, you know, if the right moves are made, that's why we keep talking about you know maybe starting next year the Reds can really be competitive uh, if they make the right moves, because we've not seen pitching like this ever, and and I think the fact that Homer Bailey's coming around is just nothing but extremely good news for Cincinnati Reds fans. Uh, it's just I, I don't think we've had pitching of this talent in this organization since the seventies. I agree. I agree. It's just the, the Gullets and the uh, Nolans. The Gullets and the Nolans and the Grimsleys and the Wilcoxes and guys like that that you have to be as old as me to even remember the names. <laughs> right. But, but I mean, we had Santo Alcala. Uh, you know, there was a lot of good young talent in this organization at one time, and Housen traded some of it away. Wayne Simpson was a, oh. maybe the best pitcher I ever saw for a half a season until he blew his arm out. You know, so but between arm injuries and, and, and trades and, and – and, and Steve Price can talk endlessly about about the Reds pitching in the seventies, right? But this is the best I've seen since then. Yeah. So anytime you're getting down, watching one of these air-filled games uh, for the Reds, just think think about the, the the next few years what this pitching has a chance to look like. Uh, you know, Cueto has had a couple of rough starts in a row, but he's had a good year. If you told me what I don't know what his numbers are right now, I don't have them pulled up. But if you told me Cueto would have these numbers at the All Star break, I'd take it in a in a heartbeat, if you told me that before the season, uh, Volquez has been hurt. It'd be good to get him back. But um, and what do the Reds do? Let me ask you that. What do the Reds do when Volquez comes back? Well, I tell you what, that's a good question. Uh, I, I don't know, I, especially if if Arroyo strings two or three decent starts together. Now, if he if he comes back out and starts struggling like he was. Then I think they, you know, what I think they do is slide him onto onto the DL, right, for a little bit of time, and then they could get him some rehab time down in the minors where he might be able to work some of his problems out, you know, whether it's carpal tunnel or whatever it is. But I don't know what they're going to do. Whether they think about moving Owens to the Owens to the bullpen, uh, whether they, you know, I've heard there's been I think I read a, in one of the columns where they're a little worried about Cueto's innings. Right. Whether they move him to the bullpen for you know for a few starts to, to you know to give him to, to lighten his, his innings load, I don't I don't know you know uh, I don't either, and, and that's why these guys are paid to make those decisions because this is going to be you know if you think that if Arroyo comes back and starts pitching reasonably well and and Homer continues to pitch well, um, that's going to be one of the hardest decisions that this organization's had to face in a long time about what to do there, and it's a it's a good problem to have. I'm not trying to suggest it's a big well, problem, but. It is. It's and the flip side of that is, if, if Arroyo thro- starts throwing well, if he puts three or four good starts together, you know, well, we won't have time for three or four, but let's say he throws one or two more good starts before the end of July, and the Reds decide that they're sellers, you might be able to get you know a couple of decent prospects for, for Bronson Arroyo. Yeah, and that clears a clears for, space for Bailey. Right. They may be able to move him, and, and I had sort of given up hope on that front based on so the way Friday he pitched all right, but he looked fantastic uh, Friday night. Of course, again, it was against the Mets, but you know the Mets just took two out of three from the Reds, so yeah. I'm not going to make too much fun of them. But he was he was masterful uh, Friday night. Uh, four hits, no runs, complete game shutout. So when when he is on, he's fun to watch pitch. I agree. He moves the ball around. Uh, he's yeah, just and, and it, it moves a lot. And and, he, and when he's on, he almost looks like he can't hit him. Right. Yeah. But you never know when he's going to be on. No, you do not. Well, the pitching's in good shape. What are the Reds going to do to get some runs on the scoreboard? Uh, do you have an answer for that? And if you do, I'm going to patch you through right now to Walt Jockety. 
Uh, I can tell you what we're going to do. We're going to wait till next year and hope that the Frasers and Stubbs and Heisies and them guys can fill some some holes and that the Reds can unload some contracts. What I hope is the Reds can unload some contracts. I, you know, I'd like to see them, you know, like a Bronson Arroyo and a Hernandez. And, you know, I'd pack it, you know, see if I could package them both up, and, you know, and, and pay somebody to take Tavares. You know, try to – what the Reds need to do is clear some of these bad contracts. And if they could, you know, and, and I and I know, you know, you're not dealing with other, the other teams aren't run by idiots, right? Not but, all of them. Yeah, but <laughs> and, and Jim Bowden's out of baseball right now, so that's right. But you know, if they could package Arroyo and, and Hernandez up, oh yeah, you know, I I'm happy. I I could live hand again behind the plate. Um, you know, and I don't think he's going to be as good as he's been in the first half, but I think he could, he could, with his defense and the way that kid throws, I'll take whatever he gives me offensively. And it, and it gets, it clears a bad contract in Hernandez. It clears some, you know, some room. And, and then if you decide over the winter that you, that you can, you've got a little money to spend and you can go after a corner outfielder somewhere and, and you don't think Heisey or Stubbs is ready, you know, then fine, and I, you know, I think the only way they're going to get rid of Tavares is if they eat that contract. Yeah, me too. You know, it's kind of like the Mike Lincoln contract, you know. Miserable. Uh, back to Hannigan, though. I agree with everything you say about him. I think he could man the position. He's not going to be as good as he uh, has been in the first half, but his on-base skills in the minor leagues uh, really were pretty good. And when you combine that with his defense, uh, he could be a decent catcher. He can he can handle that position. But, boy, he has been unbelievable when he's got a chance to play in the first half, though. Uh, just every time he gets in there, it's two hits or, you know, a hit and a walk and th- throw out a couple runners. And uh, I've just been continually amazed by his continued production. I, I'm continually amazed by the teams try to run on him. I know. <laughs> Who's doing I mean, the- welcome to try. But, yeah. But I don't think we've – I don't remember a guy that threw runners out at this rate since Johnny Bench. And really? now I, I, don't know, I, I didn't look at numbers or anything like that. But he's been the best guy throwing out base runners that I remember in a long, long time. Yeah, who's doing the advanced scouting for these other teams? Because the people continue to run on him. He just guns them down. I mean, he just has an absolute cannon back there. He's fun to watch. They must only be watching the Reds when Hernandez is catching. That's right. That must be it, yeah. Which is, you know, six days out of seven. Yeah. Um, or more. Yeah. But, uh, well, you know, I, I'm with you. I think that's the uh, only way to, to sort of address the offensive problems. In the short term, they've got... You know, it's so obvious, but at this point it's becoming clear that until Dusty Baker's hands are forced, he's not going to do something like just platoon Lance Nix and Johnny Gomes in left field for crying out loud. You know, Lance Nix has an OPS against right-handers over 800. Johnny Gomes has an OPS against left-handers over 1,000. Um, frankly, Gomes has an OPS against right-handers of almost 900, too. But, um, the sample put, size is pretty small, yeah. They're small, so there's not a whole uh, – but the point is – these guys have been known to be able to hit, uh, you know, uh, maybe just against one, one-handed one pitchers, you know, uh, Lance Nix against righties, Johnny Gomes against lefties. Why not platoon those guys out there, uh, get Johnny Gomes another start or two maybe uh, against right-handers while he's still hot, you know, and get a little bit of production out of your outfield. Uh, the first day that we see an outfield, of course, Chris Dickerson left the game today with back spasms, which is not good, but... The first time we see an outfield of uh, Willie Tavares and Jerry Harrison and Chris Dickerson, I think I'm going to probably jump off a bridge or something. Uh, but it, it's going to it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then you have they're fast. They're, they are fast. And then you, <laughs> you know you'll have Yanish at uh, shortstop and, and Hernandez at catcher, and you know Encarnacion's not hitting. Well, he's, he's starting to come around a little bit, but. Uh, I don't know if he got a hit today, but he had a six-game hitting streak going into the day. Yeah, and he's looked a lot better than some of his bats. Uh, he kind of got screwed on a th- called third strike call today. The umpiring just miserable. You know, Joey Votto got called out, uh, th- called third strike, and ended up getting ejected from the game. But Joey was right; the pitch was six inches out of the strike zone. It was just absurd. And and from everything you hear about Joey Votto, if he got thrown out of the game. It must have been a bad call. Right. He, he looks like one of those guys that don't have a whole lot to say most of the time to the umpires. Yeah, really. He goes out there and does his job. Um, we mentioned Willie Tavares, and, and I made sort of a – and I don't want to talk too much about Willie Tavares because I'm so sick of this whole uh, situation with Tavares continually uh, sucking up outs at the top of the order. But um, I made a sort of a bold statement the other day that I'd rather have Corey Patterson as my starting center fielder than Willie Tavares. 
and I said I'd rather have Chad Dotson as my center fielder than Willie Tavares. Well, that's the only, <laughs> that may be the only thing more insane than what I said, but uh, um, I, I mean it. You know, look at you look, Tavares is OPS plus this year, fifty one, which is just you know historically bad. It's even worse than his OPS plus of fifty six last year, um, one hundred being dead average. Yeah. What's what's concerning to me is two things. One is Baker is repeating the same mistake he made last year where he tied his his fortunes to a player and then refused to admit when he was wrong. Last year was Patterson, this year is Tavares. And the other part of that that really disturbs me is the fact that the GM is allowing him to do this for the second year in a row. You know, what I don't understand what's being considered. You know, what are they doing down there? And I understand if you were the GM, you don't want to be a micromanager. But at some point, you know, I don't see how you don't say something. Well, but you got to think as well. Walt Jockety, our intrepid general manager, is the guy that signed Tavares to a two-year contract. So he's got a little bit invested in Tavares as well. He handed out a two-year deal when nobody else even wanted to look at Willie Tavares in the offseason. That's uh, a very good point. Yeah, so you know, I wasn't kidding about Corey Patterson's uh, hitting was roughly uh, in the same neighborhood in terms of OPS plus last year, but uh, I'd rather have him out there because Corey Patterson busted his tail on every play in the outfield. He did not make stupid mistakes like Willie Tavares makes out there. You know, Dusty Baker called out Chris Dickerson for not backing up that play that Chase Utley got the inside the park home run the other day twice to the media. The most recent time on Sunday before the game, called out Chris Dickerson for not backing up the play and. You know, Chris Dixon should have been in a better position, although, you know, the ball was hit to dead center field. I don't know that he could have imagined that ball was going to carry him all the way over to right field. But um, but I can handle that. But why no public criticism of Willie Tavares is what I want to know. You know, I understand if Dusty wants to protect his players, but if he's going to call out Chris Dickerson, who busts his tail every second he's on the field, why not call out Willie Tavares for completely misplaying that ball in center field he, I mean, he runs straight back to the fence and stares up at it as it, at it, as it bounces off the fence. Is in no position to play the carom off. Regardless, he did it twice in a week. Twice in a week. One time gave up a triple, and yeah. the most recent time, uh, Utley, of course, got the inside the park home run. Uh, that's what bothers me. I, I usually give Dusty Baker high marks for the way he handles his players, and I know he doesn't like to call out players usually, but when he comes out publicly and and hammers Chris Dickerson two times in you know three or four days for this play, then it's hypocritical not to mention the fact that Willie Tavares screws up a play defensively every single game he's in there, practically. Well, I also think if he accomplished exactly what he wanted to do, because if you read John Fay's article in the Enquirer today, John Fay called Chris Dickerson out for the same play. So rather than John Fay questioning Dusty about Tavares' play, he's just parroting what Baker's putting out about Dickerson should have been there back in the playoff. Yeah. So, so Baker is taking some of the pressure off of Tavares and putting it on Dickerson, and the media is just is parroting what he's giving them. Yeah, it just it uh, constantly uh, blows my mind how there's no accountability whatsoever here. We're, we're we're you know staring down the barrel of a decade worth of losing seasons, but there's no accountability, and um, you know. M- I'm not going to get into another rant here like I just did, but my patience is so worn thin. Um, with Dusty on some of these uh, points that, well, no, just a, just on the Willie Tavares thing, really, um, that I, I can no longer give him the benefit of the doubt on, you know, how he handles his players, which I, you know, I tend to think he does, has done a pretty good job. But, uh, you know, protecting Willie Tavares so much, uh, it just, it boggles the mind. Chris Dickerson's a rookie. You know, why aren't you protecting his, uh, you know, his ego and protecting him in the media rather than calling out, your, you know, your rookie who's actually produced some for you this year? Uh, I don't know. I don't, well, I, I, what my concern is that Dusty is starting to show who he, who the favorites are and who are. I mean, how much has Brandon Phillips gotten away with? Exactly. You know, and, and you. I mean, it has to become pretty damn blatant before Baker will say anything publicly. Uh, and, and like you said, Baker's known for being a player's manager. And the way, and, and in fact, when we talked to Chris Welsh before the beginning of the season, he said that that's what he thinks Dusty's biggest advantages over some other managers is that he's really good with the players but it's sure starting to look like he's you know some of them get the uh you know the light shone, shine on them and you know they can do no wrong and other guys you know any mistake well not any mistake but at least you know like the case of dickerson this week he got he got thrown under the bus pretty quick it seems 
Yeah, and I've always been very willing to give Baker the benefit of the doubt on his uh, ability to handle players uh, because that's sort of been the, his reputation over the years. But I'm like you, you know, he didn't call Corey Patterson out publicly last year, and I don't think any of us were really after him to call Corey Patterson out or throw him under the bus for his because Corey Patterson just was not talented enough, frankly, to play center field in the big leagues. But it's the things that Tavares is doing, like uh, you know, loafing after balls and misplaying balls and things like that. How many of those, uh, like you said, how many times does that have to happen before you know he's no longer going to be defended uh, in the in the public eye? I, you know, with some players, it's uh, very few times before it gets uh, uh, mentioned by Dusty. And with with Tavares, I, I think the only thing that happens to him is he continues to bat up at the top of the order. Uh, it, astounding yep all right well you know we tried to we wanted to stay optimistic and here we've gotten to talk about willie Tavares, and, well, and i've got to, uh, here's here, let's do this before we close before we close up then first who's the first half mvp of this team first half mvp of this team um you know I, i'd say joey Votto, even despite uh despite the time he's been out um, See, I couldn't go that way. I have to go with Brandon Phillips, and I'm not a huge Brandon Phillips fan, but he's in there every game. He's playing good defense. You know, his OPS is still over 800. I, I think, you know, due to the lack of choices, he's the guy I would have to go with. Yeah, you know, Phillips isn't my favorite player either, but that was the first name that came to my mind um, because he had, he's been there every day and he's done some stupid things and he's showboated and all that uh, nonsense. But uh, he's been in there. He's he's produced at a decent enough clip. I'll take that production out of my second baseman. And of course, his defense has had a couple of uh, very public lapses, but uh, on the whole, has been outstanding. Um, so, you know, I, I couldn't argue with with Brandon as the first half MVP. But it's just what Joey Votto brings to this team when he's in there. Um, he's, he, a dif- he's the difference. He is a the focal point, and he there's just a different look to this team when he's in there, and so. And he's produced so well when he's been in there. His numbers are crazy. But, but no, I couldn't argue with Phillips either. Uh, who else would you consider? Johnny Cueto maybe has had a good first half. Uh, I, I have a hard time picking a pitcher as an MVP. And that's yeah. just a, a bias of mine. Uh, you know. But here's my next question. Who's the biggest surprise? What's the biggest surprise about this team in the first half? The biggest surprise. To me, the biggest surprise has been... Uh, you know the bullpen, Massett and Rhodes specifically, um, how well they've performed on the whole. To me, that's been the sort of biggest surprise. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't expect Massett and, and Arthur Rhodes and and some of these other guys to really be as dominant as they have been. What do you think is the biggest yeah, surprise? The guys were ready to throw Massett under the bus at the beginning of the season. Yeah, well, I, I wanted, I, I'm, I'm willing to admit it. I wanted Massett, uh, you know. I want him to designate him for assignment so they could bring Homer up and put him in the bullpen at the beginning yeah. of sp- at the end of spring training. And I don't think that was a you know, an, I don't think that was a nonsense suggestion. Uh, Massett's never pitched like this in his life, um, right. but, but he's doing great so far. Uh, what do you think? B- biggest surprise? I would say Ryan Hannigan. Um, yeah, with, with a close following of how well the Knicks Gomes platoon has been. Yeah. I think all those are things that, uh, you know, I didn't expect Hannigan to play this well. I didn't expect Knicks to play this well. And, and Johnny Gomes has played. I expect him to be okay, but I didn't, certainly not as well as he's played. He's been unbelievable. He was our player of the month uh, by, sort of by default uh, at Red Lake Nation for June. So, yeah, all those are and, – and those are parts. Those three guys are parts that, you know, you can plug into a good team, and those guys will help you. You know, they're not going to be your focal points uh, of any team. and. Not going to be able to handle the load. The problem is we just don't have any of those uh, other guys to shoulder that burden, unfortunately, just yet. Other than Willie Tavares, what's the biggest disappointment of this team <laughs> in the first half? Well, I think my biggest disappointment is that, uh, you know, injury-wise, we've not had Volquez out there. We've not had Votto for part of the first half and, you know, Bruce hurting out. To me, that's been my biggest disappointment. Being three games under five hundred is not a disappointment uh, to me. Um so, yeah, so the, sort of the injury bug, I think, has been a, my biggest problem. How about you? Some of, some of Dusty's notions, his, his, his love affair with Jerry Hairston, uh, yeah. uh, trying to stay away from Tavares, but is, is seemingly 
approach to guy, you know, certain guys that he feels like need to play when when it seems apparent that that there should be other people playing instead of them. Um, but you know, we can complain about Dusty all we want, but I don't think he's going anywhere. He's still a, he's owed too much money for this year and next year. Yeah, he's. Uh, some people have suggested he's going to be fired at the end of the year. I don't ever see that happening. I think. I think they're going to bring him back uh, next year. They should be a little closer to being competitive, and maybe there'll be a little more pressure on him. But I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. If you, this team has. We, we've talked on and off, you know, on the blog about about this team has holes that need to be filled. Looking at the organization, what's the biggest? What's the position that gives you the most concern? Shortstop. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think I think don't think there's any other position that's even close to me in terms of what the Reds need and and the, you know in, in in terms of what you got in the minor leagues. I don't know that I see a whole lot uh, coming up the pike that can play shortstop in the major leagues. Maybe uh, that gets me too excited. The only uh, the only the only name that I'll throw out there is Zach Cozart. Yeah, and, he, and he's still at Double A. Uh, you know, no whether he, he spends the whole year there or whether he ends up in Louisville this year. And if he does, then you know what, are they, what does that say about Chris Valleca? Uh Valleca's been disappointing this year. I, I would have maybe said that uh, he was a, one of the guys you could look at, um, but he's been disappointing. Cozart, I, I do agree with Cozart. He was one of the guys I was really supremely impressed with when I saw Carolina play. I think he can handle it defensively too. Uh, he, he looks great out there, and the Reds are pretty high on him. Evidently, you know they they skipped him a level. They don't do that too often. Yeah, and I had forgotten that till we talked. Till I talked to Joe, I didn't realize that he had jumped high A. Yeah, and and it doesn't seem like there's. I mean, there are guys that jump low A, but there aren't many guys that jump high A. No, I agree. Yeah, I, I was surprised to see that, and he's he's played well in Double A. I don't have any yes. problem with what he's doing. He's hitting well for a shortstop, and his defense again is is good. So. But I don't think he's going to be ready next year. So, you know, if the Reds are planning to be competitive next year and they want to look at what position they need to address first, it's got to be shortstop. What do they do for next year? I don't know because how much money do they have tied up in in Gonzalez for next year? Uh, I, it's, a, it's a healthy amount, if I remember right. Is Are you sure? I'm not, I don't know that Gonzalez is – I'm going to try to pull it up here. I don't think he's – is it a club option or something? Or is I think this his last year? I think, of course, no, on this club, they'll, they'll take him. Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, Gonzalez. Where's his name? There he is. It's a $6 million. Mutual option, so basically. Uh, mutual option. So they could take, uh, who knows what the buyout yeah, is. Yeah, basically, uh, and if, if, you want, if you want to see that, let me just mention, we both just pulled up the Red Leg Nation uh, salary chart. Look on the right uh, sidebar, Red Leg Nation. Very useful tool, but... <laughs> Yeah, I, there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff there in, are, in that sidebar chart over there, and and a lot of, a lot of work goes into that sidebar chart. Tom does a fantastic oh, unbelievable. job. Unbelievable, and we board. don't publicize it enough. We really should do more of that. But with Gonzalez, I believe the Reds will. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do, but I would not be surprised if they picked up that option for next year, uh, because they seem to think Gonzalez is, uh, you know. He's the man, you know. Everybody thinks he's so great defensively, and I don't know what everybody's seeing in him. But I wouldn't be surprised they picked it up. If they didn't, that'd be a pleasant surprise. But then I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, but we at this point we don't know what's going to be out there and be available either. True. But but uh, but we do agree that that shortstop for position is the biggest concern. Yeah, this team and I don't think going. it's even close. Uh, they need a bat for the outfield yeah, uh, as well, but I think shortstop. They've got to address that. So, well, and you've got some possibilities for the outfield. You got Danny Dorn, you got Stubbs, you got Heisey, you got Frazier. You know, you got that's four bats. You know, and Jay will be back. You know, I don't know how. I don't know. We'll get Jay back this year, and if it's going to be late in September, I'd list, I wouldn't bring him back. But you know the outfield's going to be tough to watch the rest of this year but I, I there's some there's some bats yeah. that can possibly help them next year now whether we get, you know who knows whether we'll get Gomes and Nick's back cuz yeah. i assume they're both on one year deals yeah. and the, and they're the, 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 every whatever yeah, that's hit, true the that's true yeah, there'll be some american league team really so. dying to get Johnny Gomes maybe after he's shown he can still hit so absolutely hey, hey, God bless uh, him, you know? i've turned into a big Johnny Gomes fan and i you know i'd love for him to stick with the reds and perform for the reds but uh yeah, whatever he can do. 
Well, anything else uh, we need to talk about as the first half comes to a close, Mr. Lack? No, I'm just looking forward. Like I said, you know, I think the second half, what you got to concentrate on is the same thing we said going into the first half. Watching the young guys develop. I mean, that's what we're looking. You know, that's what you got to watch. Watching the Homer Bailey's and the Johnny Cuetos and the Volquezes and the Joey Votto's and well, probably not Jay now, but uh, the Ryan Hannigans and those kind of guys. You know, watch those guys and watch them grow. Yeah, it'll be fun. You know, at Redleg Nation, everybody knows we're no no blind-eyed optimists or anything. Um, but you just can't deny there's a, there are a lot of things going right for this organization, and so you don't have to search too hard if you want to uh, be an optimist about this. A lot of things going wrong, maybe, too, but you don't have to search too hard to be an optimist about this team, and we're going to try to do that in the second half. Well, that's well, we right. Ain't no front we ain't no, here. ain't no front runners. <laughs> Just like everybody does. But, but you know, but as, as guys that have, you know, that have, I've been around on the Internet for 15 years running, you know, different kind of lists, and, and I always say that i got a house in Missouri that you have to show me, and it's been a long time since I've had as much – uh, optimism about the future of this franchise. I agree. It's, and, I right and like now. we've continued to say, if if the Reds make the right decisions over the next uh, six eight months, this team could be in uh, pretty good shape for the next few years. So let's keep without a yeah without right. a cost yeah. of an arm so and a leg. Let's keep our, keep our fingers crossed on that one. All right. Well, I guess that'll do it for this week's edition of the Red Leg Nation Radio Podcast. Appreciate you joining us again, Bill. All right. Well, thanks to all of you guys out and gals out there for joining us. As always, comments, concerns, suggestions, send those to radio at redlegnation.com. Um, go subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. I encourage you every time to do that, and, and I still want to encourage that. Get more subscribers every week. It's been great to get some of the feedback from you guys. Feel free to email us anytime. Anything you want us to talk about, or if you have an email you want us to read on the air, send it on. Um, but subscribe via iTunes. You won't miss a single episode. And then, of course, we have all the previous episodes linked through the RN Radio tab there at the top of RedLegNation.com. Well, thanks again to all of you loyal citizens of Red Leg Nation out there. For Bill Lack, this is Chad Dotson saying so long. <laughs>